0: now let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven uh, we come now to this which is the word of God and um, we pray that you would enable us to um, revere it fear it respect it honor it as such as your word and I pray then that through it you would speak to us. And we know that when you speak, because you are Lord of all things, especially your word, that it will have its perfect work in us. I pray that work be to draw us to you, to save, to strengthen, to give us courage to live as followers of Jesus. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, uh, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians, please, and, uh, and chapter 4. Verse 1, this is the word of God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I want, God will help us, to, to ask this question. What gave this apostle, what gave Paul, what gave the apostle Paul the courage, the confidence to continue to live out his life as an apostle, taking the gospel to places where it had never been spoken, uh, planting churches where there weren't any before? What gave him the courage, the confidence to continue to do that in the face of the persecution that he was under. Everywhere he went, there was great opposition to him, uh, even to the point of running him out of town, even to the point of stoning him, even to the point of arresting him, even to the point of wanting to kill him, even to the point of leaving him at times for dead, uh, and all of that. So so what gave him the courage to continue on doing that in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of the suffering that that cause that persecution caused in the midst of his own weakness. I mean, he was a man. He had weakness. He had physical weakness. He uh, it appears at least when he was with the churches in Galatia that he had some kind of of eye issue going on. Uh, even to the point where he said, "You would have plucked out your eyes for me um, and uh, given them to me to relieve my suffering." And, and we know that later in second corinthians in chapter 12 he'll speak of a thorn in the flesh that was given to him it seemed to be some sort of painful thing in his in his body that was given to him and so we know he he had weakness just like every other man physically we know that he had weaknesses spiritually just like every other every other human being every other man he spoke of his own sin for instance again in second corinthians in chapter 12 in reference to the thorn in the flesh he says that had been given to him to keep him from conceit to keep him from pride and so in the midst of his own uh, physical weakness and his own spiritual weakness what gave him the confidence to continue on not only that uh there was also suffering persecution from within the churches we we know that The reason he's writing this particular letter is because he had been slandered in Corinth. There was a group of people who were opposed to Paul and were saying those things which were false about him. And and his his reputation was being stained. And and so he had to to write to them to speak of himself even, though he did it reluctantly, to speak of himself because he was afraid if they rejected him, they would reject the gospel. That he had preached to them. And so all that was tied together. And so so, so so, Paul was slandered as well. And so I asked the question, what? What gave him the, the courage, the unction to keep going in the midst of all of that? Not only that, but his calling was virtually impossible, right? He was called, as he was told on the road to Damascus when he was... Um, First called by God and converted and commissioned, if you will, uh, he was told that he was to open the eyes of the blind. Well, who can do that? Not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Who can who can do that? Who's up for that? Uh, he says that that those who read Moses, read the Old Covenant, without. Reading it through the lens of Jesus, without without coming first to Jesus to understand, uh, they have a veil over their eyes. Who can take that veil away? And and in what the passage that I read in in verse three, yeah, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How, how how can any person be charged with Taking away that blindness, who can do that? So, you get my question: Why is it? What is it that gave him the confidence uh, to do to do that? And I take that question from verse one uh, of chapter four. He says, "Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart." And so I ask the question: How do you keep from losing heart? with that kind of ministry and that kind of opposition and that kind of weakness, that kind of calling? How do you keep from losing? What gives you confidence uh, in the midst of that? Now, I think this is an important question, both for Paul and for us. Now, if I could just do an aside here, right? just a little aside about asking questions in as we read the scripture. Um, could I say this? That it isn't our primary task in coming to the scriptures to ask of the scripture questions that we have but rather to read the scripture and see what questions it's asking and answering i say that because if the Bible's the word of god were to submit to it in every way not it to us It doesn't have to jump through our hoops, but we through its. And so when we come, we come to the Bible to have our minds and our affections trained. And so we come to listen, not to impose. I remember when I was in seminary after class one day, I asked one of my professors a question. And he said, he said, if you knew what you were talking about, you wouldn't ask that question. Now, I was a bit stung by his bluntness, but I appreciated it. Because he said, this is the question you should be asking. And so I I set my mind to him to listen to him and to try to figure out the questions he was asking and answering while he was lecturing. So that my mind could be trained by him because I assumed he knew more about this than I did. And clearly he did and well he does now because he's died. And so he really knows now. But, 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 and so as we come to the scripture, you see... We're trying to listen. We're trying to say, train my mind, not just with the answers to the questions I have. I have some, and sometimes they're answered by the scripture, and sometimes they're not. But 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 to listen. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what I'm trying to do anyway. It's what I always try to do. It's what we try to do when we come together for a Bible study or whatever. We try to listen to the text and have our minds and our affections trained by it, not to superimpose questions upon it. Sometimes the Bible just simply ignores our questions. And it brings answers to its own, what it's interested in, what God is interested in us. You know, and so we submit to it. So I think this question comes. Paul says we don't lose heart. My question is, how do you keep from losing heart in the midst of this? And I believe he's going to to lay that that out for it. It's an important question for for Paul, so that uh, he can continue on. I think it's an important question for us too. It's an important question for us. How do we keep from losing heart? How do we maintain confidence to continue on? Because, you see, we're involved as church, the big church, our church as well. But we're involved as church in the same gospel enterprise as Paul. He was given by the mercy of God this ministry of this new covenant. We are, by the mercy of God, as church, given the same ministry, right? We are we are called to make disciples. That's the mandate that we have. We're called to make disciples, and so we have. This, so the question is, how do we, in the midst of the culture in which we live, we're not being persecuted in the same way Paul was, but yet we know there's opposition, right? Uh, how do we, in light of our own weakness—physical weakness, spiritual weakness? in light of the, own, the the same impossible calling that Paul had to open the eyes of the blind to take away the veil how do we as church uh, maintain this this, this confidence, I mean, we're, we're called to, to in the same enterprise as, as Sunday school teachers, as pastors, as elders, as Bible study leaders, as nursery workers, as people offer care and compassion to others, as people bring meals to people, when we visit other people, as we share together around coffee about the things of God, as we, as we move out, in, in a sense, evangelistically, in the context of our families, in the context of our, of our neighborhoods, in the context of co-workers, co-workers in the context of classmates and and the context really of the world as we send people so we're involved in the same evangelistic uh, enterprise how do we keep from losing heart in the midst of the world the culture in which we live and we have a number of other callings as well I hope I know you realize that God calls us we have a number of callings a number of we can even say vocations in the context of our life as a man I have a calling to be a man you're a woman. You have a calling to be a woman, a Christian man, a Christian woman. That's a calling from God. He He describes what it is in the Scripture to be a man. He describes the Scripture what it is to be a woman. And so, we are to live out that calling from God. And so, the question is, of course, how do we keep from losing heart in that calling in a world that doesn't recognize right uh, male, female? In the same way, often that. The Bible lays it out for us, how we're to live that out, how we're to embrace that as a calling. I have to constantly be reminding myself. God has called me to be a man, and so what does that mean? If you're a female, God has called you to be a woman. What does that mean, and how do we live that out in a world that may not understand that all in the same way we do? I've been called, some of us have been called to, into marriage, and, and so I've been called to be a husband. And So what does that mean? How do I keep from losing heart being a husband in the midst of culture, most especially in the midst of my own weakness, right? Uh, and so how do I, how do I keep from losing heart? If you're a woman and a wife, how do you keep from losing heart, uh, in the midst of that? What's your confidence, uh, in the, <clears throat> in the midst of that? I've been called to be a father. I have children, so I've been called to be a father. And, and I thought that ended when they were 18. It doesn't. And so, so, and called to be a grandfather. So, uh, uh, so what does that mean? Uh, how do I keep from losing heart as a parent, as a father, if you're a mother, as a mother? How do you keep Losing heart. What what, what's there uh, in the in the midst? I've been called to be a citizen of this country. How do I keep from losing heart? Uh, As I understand what it means to be a faithful citizen of a of a country in which I live, the Bible speaks uh, of government and how we're to live in the midst of that. How do I how do I do that? How do I keep from losing heart uh, in the midst of 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 that? I've been I've been called personally as a pastor. That's my particular. Uh, professional vocation. You might be called as an engineer or as a teacher or as a, as, a, as a doctor, as a mechanic or as a plumber. Whatever your calling is, you might be a calling as a student at the moment. And so how do you keep from losing heart in that calling? See where I'm headed? So God has called us and we're called to follow him in various spheres, and various callings, if you will, various vocations that we have. And we're called to be Christian in the midst of a culture that isn't, and out of weakness, physically and spiritually as well. So that's a long introduction, but, but I think that's the reason this is an important question. Now, this is not the only answer the Scripture gives, because Paul will go on to talk about not losing heart in verse 18 of chapter 4, and he'll kind of give it a different spin. But I think this is the biggest one. What, I'm, about to, what we see here, I think, is, is the biggest... Um, Confidence builder that 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 we could have it's 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 the most inclusive and I think it comes in verse five. Um, verse five, Paul writes, "For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake." See Paul's understanding of of life, his particular calling in that as an apostle. But Paul's whole understanding of life is that Jesus is Lord. right? That he's the Lord. Uh, and that, I think, is what gives him his, his, his confidence. Now, what did he mean by that? What does Paul mean when he says that we preach Jesus Christ uh, as Lord? I think, first, this. That, that that's the guts, the essence the ground, the foundation, the heart, centrality of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's, he's Lord. Now, I think if most of us were asked, and I, I might even answer it this way too if I weren't thinking this text, what's the essence of the gospel? And you might say that Jesus is our Savior. And that would certainly be true. He certainly is that. But the the overriding emphasis of the scripture, New Testament, is that Jesus is the Lord. In fact, this is phenomenal. In fact, the, the title Lord is given to Jesus over eight, about 800 times in the New Testament. The title Savior is given to Jesus only about 14 times. Now, Jesus' saving work is discussed and described in all kinds of ways throughout the New Testament. So the, the stats buy us a bit. But just in terms of title, if you're going to speak of Jesus, if you're going to give a title, what would that be? Well, certainly the Christ, that wasn't his last name. That was a, a title that he was the anointed when he was prophet, priest, and king. But, but, but title, Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. He's, he's, he's the Lord. And, and we know that Jesus as Lord, therefore, is central to the gospel message. As we've said, and I love saying this. I like to say it every fall. I have a little little checklist of things I like to say every year. Uh, just in case. Because we have a fluid congregation with students in and out and all that. I want to hear this. Nothing else. Got it from John Stott years ago. But that, that Christianity is Christ, Jesus the Lord. It is. You take Jesus, the person of Jesus, out of Christianity and you haven't got it. Because it's all tied with him. Not simply his teaching. You, you can take Muhammad, I suppose, out of Islam and retain the essential teaching, the Quran, and you would have Islam. You take Buddha, I suppose, out of Buddhism and retain the essential teaching and still have Buddhism. I think you could do that down the line. But you take this person, Jesus, out of Christianity and there's nothing. Because it was all based on him, on his identity as the son of God. that That was really it, you see. I mean, even, even his teaching was very often self-centered. Again, just to run through these, these should be in our minds. That Jesus said he was the bread of life. Who can say that? By saying I'm the bread of life, he says, without me, you die. Who can say that? He wasn't saying without my teaching, you'll die. He said, without me, you die. I am this. I'm the, I'm the light of the world. Who can say that? Right? He was saying, without me, you can't see anything and everything will die. You can't see it. You can't see God. I'm the light of the world, you see. He said, I'm the door. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you go through me. Not just my teaching, but me. Got to go through me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who leads, I'm the one who guides, I'm the one who nourishes, I'm the one who protects. If you're not being shepherded by me, you'll perish. You'll be destroyed. I'm the resurrection and the life. When you die, you'll perish. Unless you're in me. I'm the one who resurrects to life. Not to death, but to life. Who can say that? He doesn't simply say, follow my teachings and you'll live. He says, I'm the resurrection. You have to be in me, or you or you perish. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the truth. I'm reliable. You can trust me. I'm life. There isn't any way, other way to God it. Not just following my teaching, but through me, you see. I'm the true vine. Unless you're attached to me. And if you're receiving from me, life from me, you're dead. Just like a, a branch apart from the vine dies, so shall you be. Who can say that? Just, just this Jesus, you see. He's the center of it all. He's the center of it all, Jesus. And what he came, of course, to do. He came to seek and save the lost, to save them, to give his life as a ransom for many, an atoning sacrifice for sin. Who can do that except this very one Jesus? Uh, You take him out of it, there isn't any real Christian faith. And and when Paul uses this expression, Lord, he's, he's pulling back into the Old Testament that God referred to himself, I am the Lord and there is no other God. I'm the Lord. And so when he refers to Jesus as the Lord, he's, he's pulling all of, of that, you see. That Jesus is Lord. He's deity. He's God in the flesh. We see it uh, by, by what he could do. He could calm the storm. He, had, he was the Lord over nature. He healed diseases. He was Lord over bodies. Uh, he, he raised the dead. He was Lord over death and, and life. So we, we see the rule and reign over all these things in Jesus. And we mustn't ever, ever forget that. So he's the Lord. He's the very heart of it all. He, he forgave sins. He forgave sins against God. Only God can forgive sins against God. And so he forgave them. You see, this is, this is Jesus. This is the essence of who he is. This is why he's always the one we go back to. Or go to when we share the faith. How could we speak of Christianity without speaking of Jesus? People want to give, get us in conversations about all kinds of periphery. And those are interesting and fine if they lead us to Jesus. Because he is our authority. Because he, in fact, is the, the Lord. He was preexistent. He said before Abraham was, "I, I am. I've always been, you see. And that's the way the scripture lays out. That's the way the scripture lays out uh, the gospel. For instance, in Romans and chapter 10. Turn to this quickly if you have a Bible or some kind of device. Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Verse 9 started with verse 8 because you were still turning there. I didn't need verse 8. I just need verse 9. So now that you've found it. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with a heart, one believes and is justified with a mouth. One um, confesses and is saved. And So he says, here's what you, if you want to be saved. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to. Be reconciled to God. What this means is that in faith, you're saying you believe that Jesus is Lord. God in the flesh, right? He's Lord, ruler of all things, ruler of life and death, ruler of you, Lord over you. For the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In fact, in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, he, he puts it like this, verse 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, so we get it. We see this notion that Jesus is, in fact, the Lord that he rules over all. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians and chapter 1. Again, quickly get this. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 19 we're in the middle of a sentence it says and what is, Im- what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come so this is Jesus He's now exalted above every name? <clears throat> and verse twenty-two, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is this is this is this is Paul. Of course, we 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 professed our faith in Philippians and uh, chapter two this morning with this great expression, so that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's establishing the fact that Jesus is Lord. Think of it. Think of it. I know we're so accustomed to saying these words but to realize there's a real Jesus who right now is ruling and reigning over your next breath. Over the fact you're sitting here. Over the fact there's traffic on the street. Over the fact... Over everything. Right now. He is the Lord. And because he's the Lord. And here's the confidence that begins to come. Because he's Lord, it means he can save sinners. You See, that's why I believe the Bible speaks of Jesus as Lord Primarily. Because if he wasn't the Lord, if he isn't Lord over all things, he could never save sinners. He needs to be Lord to do that. He has to, he has to have authority over blind, dead sinners in order to save them. Because if not, then someone stronger than Jesus could thwart his desire Plan, his purpose to save. He saves because he's the Lord. That was the picture Paul gave us back in chapter 2. You remember the picture of the Roman triumph, that here was the conquering general and here was all the ones he had conquered. And Paul said, Jesus is the conqueror and I'm the conquered. He has power and authority. He's the, he, he is the Lord. Over me, and I am his and your bondservant. So that's the picture that because he's the Lord, he is able to save sinners, able uh, to conquer. Um, he says here that the minds, verse 4 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who can give sight to the blind except the one who is Lord over blindness. And over even the God of this age. Satan isn't God with a capital G. He's God with a small g. Well, who is big G over little g? Jesus. Is the Lord. He proved that He gives sight to the blind by a, a very simple, for him, I trust, illustration. He came across one day a man who was born physically blind, and He made him new eyes so that he could see. Thus, He said, I'm the light of the world. You need light, I'm the light giver. In fact, we know in Ephesians 2 that Paul writes of our condition prior to coming to faith. Verse 1 in Ephesians 2, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is, is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, you see, but God, he's the one who has authority because he's Lord over life and death. He's the one who has authority to give life. He proved that with a man by the name of Lazarus. And he gave us that, that visual that that, that that Lazarus had been dead four days His body was smelling up the tomb and they were afraid to open it because of the smell that would be there. And and Jesus said, open the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't know if Lazarus was content being dead or not. I suspect there was a certain good aspect to that. And being, I suppose, in the presence of the Lord, I don't know that Jesus gave him a choice about whether he was coming back. I don't think he checked in with Lazarus first and says, is this okay with you? He just did it because he's the Lord and he can call any to life he wishes. He has authority. He has authority over over people's hearts. That was the message of the New Covenant. That's the message of Ezekiel. He'll take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. That's Who can do that? I don't have the authority to do that. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power. I don't have the authority. I don't have the right to go into your life and change it. Who am I? Just like you. But Jesus is the Lord, so he does. He has the power and the authority over people's lives to change them, he has more power than our sinful inclinations. I trust you believe that. That's why you pray that he strengthens you, because he can overcome your sinful inclinations in ways that you cannot. Remember, the book of Acts it speaks of a woman named Lydia. It says, the Lord opened her heart. How could he do that? What right did he have to change her heart? What right did he have to open her heart? He had the right because he's the Lord. Paul knew that in his own life. He knew that as a persecutor, as a murderer of Christians, ones who would imprison Christians because they were followers of Jesus, ones who would he would... He, as he did with Stephen, authorize order, the death of the stoning of this, this believer in Jesus. And Paul had heard, at least on that day, one of the best sermons ever preached from the martyr Stephen as he preached about Jesus. Paul heard it, didn't believe it. He said, no, if he believes that, he should be killed. And then Jesus came on the road to Damascus and arrested him with light blinded him physically but spiritually enabled him to see the light of the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus and I think Paul said he's the Lord look what he did he's the Lord therefore he can save not only is it Lord and therefore he can save but he's the Lord and therefore he can keep us saved See, he's the Lord over over everything, even even now, the Lord over our hearts. And so, uh, the author of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews, in chapter seven, and uh, verse twenty-five. Consequently, and this is a read in your spare time this week, Hebrews one through seven and a half. But consequently, uh, given all that Jesus is and has done, then. He is able, Jesus is, to save to the uttermost. That is completely those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he's the Lord and since he's the one interceding and defending us, interceding for us and defending us, then we can be confident that not only does he save because he's Lord, but also he keeps those he's saved, saved he is able to save us, completely save us, if you will, uh, to the uttermost. In fact, we, we, we looked at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. And he writes, And it is God who, is, who establishes us with you in Christ, and who has anointed us, and who has put a seal on us, and given his spirit in our hearts as, guarantee, as a guarantee. You see, he establishes us. He makes this, this relationship with God through Jesus, permanent. Because we're in Christ. He establishes us. And he can do that. Because he's the Lord. He has the authority and he has the power, you see, uh, to do that. Uh, Jesus spoke himself in John chapter 10 uh, about this keeping power. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the work That I do is in my Father's name, and it bears witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How does Jesus know that? What gives him the confidence to say that no one can snatch you out of my hand? Uh, what gives him the confidence to, confidence to imply that we won't jump out of his hand? Well, oh, Because he knows he's the Lord. He knows he's the Lord over, over everything. He knows he's the Lord over Satan. He knows he's the, the Lord of the world. Uh, he knows he's the Lord over our own hearts. And he says, trust me. When I save you, I save you. And I'm the Lord. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. He who began this good work, the apostle writes, will bring it to completion. And then you see, as the Lord, uh, he rules, reigns over us. We are. We are to follow him. We are to submit to him. We are to acknowledge that he's the Lord. We are to to give ourselves, if you will, to him in response to who he is. Uh, I read this morning earlier out of Luke uh, in chapter 6. Jesus says to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does uh, and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And the stream broke against it. Immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. He said, listen, I'm the Lord. Trust me. Follow me. Trust me. Follow me. That's his word. And Paul said, ah, I know that Jesus is the Lord, you see. Therefore, I have confidence to keep going. Because I don't preach myself. I preach him. And he's the Lord. And he's the Lord over his word. And so he will save those he will. And he will keep saved though he, those he saves. And he's the Lord over all my circumstances. And he's the Lord over my weakness. He's the Lord over my strength. And he's the Lord over Over everything. And so you see I can. I can continue on. I can trust him. When I'm being persecuted. I realize that Jesus is the Lord. If this is happening. Then this is going to further his cause. This can't thwart him. This can only promote him. And so I'll receive it. In my suffering. This can't thwart him. He's the Lord. He will find a way. Through this suffering to even strengthen me and bless his people because he's the Lord. This can't be thwarted. He is the Lord over the world. He's the world over the flesh. He's the world over the devil. I'm sorry, he's the Lord over the devil. And so it can't thwart him. I can continue on and I can continue to do all of all of this. That's the message you see. I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, but about 20 years ago, which was yesterday, but about 20 years ago, there was a a debate in the church that I never understood. I mean, I understood it. I mean, I read about it and I understood the both parts, but I never understood why it was even a concern. I never understood why it was a debate. But the debate went something like this, that you can actually accept Jesus as your Savior, but not acknowledge him as the Lord. And I didn't understand that at all. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. Now, I understand grace, and I understand we're not saved by works. But when you believe in Jesus, you receive Jesus, who is the Lord who saves you. And so it isn't just simply I can say, oh, I believe in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. Uh, I'll see you when I die. But to say, no, I receive you. I trust you. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my way to go your way because you're the Lord and you'll only lead me in paths of righteousness. So why would I leave you? You know, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we realize our spiritual bankruptcy, you see, he says, oh, that's the entrance into, into heaven. You're not trusting yourselves. And blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are you when you mourn over your sin. You get it. You understand. And blessed are the meek. You really understand your place before God and before others. And then he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For you will be filled. You realize your problem is a lack of righteousness. And so you seek Jesus because he's the righteous one. You receive his righteousness. And then you pray. Impute or impart your righteousness to me. Give it to me. Let me me live righteously. Enable me to live righteously. Because you're the Lord. You're the right way. You're the one who knows the path. You're the one who has control over me. And so work in me in such a way that I live to please you. That's it, you see. He's the Lord. We follow him. And he's our confidence. When I wonder... How are we as church going to accomplish this gospel enterprise? How are we as church going to teach our children and lead them to faith? How are we as church uh, going to to teach one another and disciple one another and help one another along the way? How are we as church going to care for people in a way that highlights who Jesus is? Uh, how are we as church uh, going to take the message of this gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and our families and all of that? How are we going to take this gospel? How is it going to break through when people are dead in trespasses and sins and when when they're when they're blind by the evil one? And And my only hope, our only hope, the only reason we keep doing this Is because Jesus is Lord. And we trust Him that He'll break through, that He's able to overcome all of, all of that. And so Paul says, see, I don't change the gospel. I don't change the message. I don't change what's here. I don't try to trick anybody. There's nothing secret about what we do. It's all out in the open. We keep talking about Jesus, the Lord, and all that he is and all that he's done. And we have no other message. I don't preach myself. I don't preach. I preach that. He said, that's my confidence. That's my hope. That is what will convert. That will, what, That's what will change people. That's what will sustain people. That's what will... Bless them, And so he says, I don't change any of that. His confidence is that Jesus is Lord. If you're trying to be a man in the culture in which we live. Your only hope is that Jesus is Lord over you. And over his word. If you're a woman trying to live that out in our culture, what it means to be a woman under God, your only hope is that Jesus is Lord says, don't redefine it. Don't change the truth. Don't change the message. But trust that Jesus is Lord. And he will enable. And he will give grace. And he will give strength to help you live that out. If you're a, if you're a husband or a wife, not to change what God says that means, but we're to live that out knowing that Jesus is, is the Lord over husbands and wives and over you and me. And don't change it, live it. Trust Him. If you're a father or a mother, don't change what that means. But trust Jesus as the Lord over what that means. And trust Him in the midst of that, you see. If you're a citizen in this country, live that out as a Christian, don't change what the Bible speaks and says about that, but live that out in the context of your own vocation in your life. Live that out as God instructs us to live out our work to the glory of God, to love others by what we do. And, and that's good. And he's don't change that. Continue to live that out. Our culture may not reinforce that. The world may come against us. Our flesh may even rebel at times. And, and Satan is trying to swoop all of that together against us. But Jesus is Lord. Therefore, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. That you will enable us to stay true to that which is true. True to your word that we could say faithful to Jesus who is the lord and so lord jesus christ i pray that you would exercise your sovereign rule in our lives for those who don't believe in jesus i pray that you would overcome resistance take away blindness give light take away deadness and trespasses and sins and give life people would believe. I pray that you would then enable us to persevere. That as the Lord that you would keep us. That you would intercede for us. That you would defend us. That you would strengthen us. That you would empower us. That you would overcome in us any sin, any resistance following you and you would enable us to do that as men and women as husbands and wives as fathers and mothers as people with callings within the church as citizens as workers and you would enable us to continue to follow Jesus the Lord and this I pray in Jesus name Amen